When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, I said it on the air right before they played the opener of this series that sometimes that first game back after a trip, especially after a long trip, and that was their longest road trip of the year, sometimes you just come out flat. And for two games, it it, it looked that way. I don't know if that's the reason because it sort of sounds like an excuse and I've got no reason to make an excuse, but they played bad baseball. Like, yeah, that's just that's just what we saw. Their offense was in net for the first two games of this series, and through all three games of this series, they played horrible defense and they walked a lot of guys. It was not good baseball over the course of three games against Washington. That's, that's just what it was, and that's on the heels of playing mostly brilliant baseball out on the West Coast when they went out and won seven out of ten games. So, how the hell do you explain that? Uh, I can't. And, and let's well, I'll blame it on San Francisco. Well, not San Francisco. I'll blame it on ESPN. Because they had to have that ESPN game Sunday. Yes. Night. Buck called them out for two. Yes. You know it. That was my favorite part <laughs> when Buck called them out. But I'm glad they were able to at least take the finale of this series. Because you're right. Even if the loss would have been very unique from the first two losses of this series, getting swept by the Na- Washington Nationals would be uh, bad, 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 bad. We go back to the opener of this thing. And I was at City Field very excited to be back, to be back at City Field. Uh, Before we get to what happened in this game, they did decide to play a Dominic Smith tribute video. It's not a surprise because, and I think I mentioned this on a few Ricos ago, they played a Seth Lugo video tribute. So if you're going to have a video tribute for Seth Lugo, all bets are off. Like, why wouldn't they have a video tribute for Dom Smith? I was not at the finale, but I have a good question. Did they play a video tribute for Trevor Williams? Like, did he get one too? <laughs> you have any issue with that, Dom, getting a tribute video? No, I, I said this on air too with Tiki and Tierney because they were asking the same thing. Like, what the hell is that about? I said, he had his moments. I mean, honestly, one of the more iconic moments of the past few years was Pete Alonzo having some sort of walk-off, them all celebrating, his shirt's ripped off, and there's Dom Smith on that little, like, um, the, the little, like, I, what was it? He, when he broke his, he had something wrong with his knee, and he had this like little like uh, pedal thing that he was on. His knee was up, raised up, and he was like right. wheeling it on on the field. But that like I know that's not an iconic moment for him, but it that that image is in my head. He was there for some moments. I'm not gonna kill them, but I feel like this is a big ritual now in every single sport. Maybe not football, but like even hockey, they had videos for everybody that got traded over the off uh, the trade deadline. Yeah, I think that if you look at what Dom accomplished with the Mets, you'd say, come on, there's no tribute video. But he was liked. He was a liked Met. Um, He was. He was well-liked by fans. I remember when he had that emotional press conference uh, during the 2020 season, the odd 2020 season. I think it was something that Met fans kind of wrapped their arms around. So I never get crazy about this kind of stuff because it really doesn't mean anything. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to get nuts about a tribute video for Dominic Smith. We know what Dominic Smith was. He was a big prospect and he never panned out. 
And the Mets gave him opportunities at the end, despite Pete clearly being the first baseman of this team to be the left-handed DH. And for whatever reason, he had no pop the last couple of years and became so unproductive that he was spending half the year last year in the minor leagues. And I'm glad he's got an opportunity in Washington, but watching him over the course of these two games, because he didn't play the finale against the lefty, I don't think anything's changed. He has no home runs. He's hitting 235, and he's got a good glove at first base. I'll give him that. He actually made a really important play in the opener of this series. Uh, the Mets, I think it was, I'm trying to remember the exact situation, but he made a really good scoop on a throw to first base. And if he doesn't make that scoop, the Mets tack on a run or score a run. Because remember, they got shut out in this game. So it would have been, at least they would have gotten on the board. So he played good defense in the game. He had a hit, got on base a couple of times. But I don't think anything's changed. I don't think Dom Smith's turning into a star. I don't think this is going to be something that we as Met fans are going to look back and regret. I don't see that. What we did see in the opener of this series was Jose Budo try his darndest to get through five innings. And I thought Budo in this odd way was impressive because he put a million guys on base. He walked six guys in four and two-thirds innings, and it felt like the Mets stayed in the game by the skin of their teeth. And it wasn't just Jose Budo. It was Jimmy Yacobonis who cleaned up his mess in the fifth inning. But it felt like the Nationals had a chance, considering the amount of guys they left on base. They actually left 12 guys on base throughout the game. And they had left 10 guys on base through the first six innings. The Nationals should have been up like 8 nothing, And the Mets somehow, Budo and Yacobonis and Tommy Hunter, kept the game reasonably close, reasonably close. It was finally broken open in the sixth when Luis Garcia hit that two-run double. The offense, though, was just mowed down. They didn't have a lot of opportunities in this game. The only opportunity they really had was Starling Marte with the bases loaded and two outs in the fifth inning. And I thought that Marte continued to look cooked. And by cooked, I don't mean finished or his career's over. He just looked awful. He struck out twice. He had a bunch of bad at-bats. And every time Marte is that bad, you get concerned about himself. You start to think about his neck. I think Marte looked better as the series went on. So the concerns I had Tuesday night have certainly been alleviated over the last couple of days. But it was a really lifeless baseball game. It was really, really tough to watch. And I was there. That was the game I went to. By the way, they did not fix the scoreboard on any kind of consistent basis. We had mentioned that they don't show what a guy had done during the game, like 0 for 2, 1 for 3. I, I was keeping an eye on this because I, I want to be uh, helpful for my fellow Met fan. I want them to want the Mets to be held accountable. And what I noticed, Pete, is that some of the batters, they would say they would show what they had done throughout the game, but it was not consistent. So the scoreboard is still uh, it's not up to par yet, Pete. Can I ask a, a random question? I don't know if you took note of it, but were they positive? Like, for example, if it was a Met thing where someone was like, you know, two for three with a home run, well, which wasn't, there was no home runs on Monday. So. <laughs> and it was nothing. <laughs> so there wasn't much positive. So how about this? Were there like, if a guy went 0 for 2 on the Nationals, would they put, would they show that? Like, I'm trying to see if he was like I, a plus minus here. No, I, I don't, I didn't notice any. <laughs> Kind of connection. I think it was just they're figuring out this giant scoreboard. That's what I think it is. I, I don't think there was any 
connection between how the guys were playing or not. Otherwise, they should have just shut the scoreboard off because <laughs> it was bad. I mean, the only positive I remember was not in that fifth inning, Brett Beatty had a double. And I think with Beatty and with Alvarez, who both played this game, and Beatty and Alvarez played two of the three games. I stand by something I said to you a week ago. It is trending in the right direction for Alvarez. He's playing most of the time. He is. Think about it. He started two out of three in this series against Washington, two and two in San Francisco, two out of three against the Dodgers. So if you do the math on the last 10 baseball games, he has started six of 10. Now, maybe that's not enough. Maybe you need it to be eight of 10, but it's absolutely trending in the right direction. But I have noticed a parallel. There is one pitcher, Francisco Alvarez, has not caught yet this season. And that gets us to Tuesday night, because on, on Wednesday night, because on Tuesday night, the opener of this series, they ended up losing 5 nothing. That was the Jose Budo game I just described. Josiah Gray was tremendous. It was curtains. It was curtains. In game two of this series with Kodai Senga on the mound and Mackenzie Gore on the mound for Washington, we saw Tomas Nito back in the lineup catching. We have seen Nito play against lefties, so I don't think that's necessarily unusual, but we haven't seen Alvarez catch Senga yet. Keep an eye on that. We'll see if Buck's trying to keep them separate. But in game two of this series, it was really the same crap. Kodai Senga was in trouble. He was walking guys, ended up walking four guys in five innings. So think about that. The two starters in game one, six walks. In game two, four walks. Ten walks from their starting pitching in about nine and two-thirds innings. That's a crap load of walks. But much like Budo, Senga did a really good job of not allowing guys to score. He got in a massive trouble in the sixth inning and somehow was able to limit the damage getting out of it, only allowing those two runs. So Senga did his job in terms of keeping the Mets in the game. The problem is, again, they did not hit. The only run they scored in this game was after Eduardo Escobar let off with a triple. They got a clutch two-out single from Starling Marte. Outside of that, nothing. And they had opportunities. The big one came in the seventh inning. They're down 3-1. to one. They get leadoff walks by Brett Beatty, a leadoff walk by Daniel Vogelbach against Carl Edwards. You got the top of the order up, down by two runs. Nimmo, Marte, Lindor. Nimmo grounds out. Marte strikes out. Lindor strikes out. So they didn't have a lot of opportunities in the first two games of this series. But when they did, they did nothing offensively. And you want to tip your hat to Mackenzie Gore? Mackenzie Gore's a good-looking pitcher. I'll give you that. And I, and I acknowledge that, A, the Nationals have pitched well. I think we have to point that out. I'm not just talking about the first two games against the Mets. Their pitching numbers are actually pretty good. They're better than the Mets, pitching-wise. So sometimes we stereotype a team's bad, got a bad record, so they must suck at everything. Their pitching actually hasn't been that bad. They've had some good numbers and good performances by guys out of their bullpen and obviously some of their starting pitching. With that said, I don't want to tip my hat. I don't want to tip my hat. Hit. If you're the Mets, hit. Manage more than one run in six innings against Gore. Don't strike out 10 times against Mackenzie Gore because Kodai Senga, while he wasn't dominant, kept them in the game. Five innings, two runs. You're in the baseball game, and they couldn't get the big freaking hit. All right, so I'm going to disagree with you on that. The Mets right now are working on all these prospects, all these hot prospects between Alvarez, Beatty. You know, can't wait to see what happens with Mauricio and Vientos. 
the Nationals, the one thing they did well was when they traded, they got back key pieces, Josiah Gray from the Dodgers and Mackenzie Gore from the Padres. Dude, those are aces. They're going to be. Well, they're not aces, not go- yet, not yet. But they're, they, but but they were highly touted prospects. I'm not saying they suck, dude. I I know that they're good. I can still be frustrated that the Mets did nothing I offensively. I under, I understand it, and I'm not trying to make an excuse because you, you we could buy into the whole thing about the, the coming back from the West Coast, all that other stuff. But uh, like you said, you got to tip your cap to them a little bit. Well, you, okay. you have to give them a little credit. I- I give them credit, but in the seventh inning, when they had two on and nobody out, that was against Carl Edwards and Hunter Harvey. Okay, they had a chance to rally down three to one against the Nationals bullpen. And by the way, Hunter Harvey came in and looked like Dennis Eckersley in his prime. I mean, Starling Martin and Francisco Lindor couldn't hit the baseball, and then they got mowed down. So they also got mowed down by the Washington Nationals bullpen. Bottom line Hunter is Harvey's not run. that Hunt. Uh, listen, I hate to say this, but the the one thing that the Nationals actually have is they do have some decent pitchers. But Pete, I acknowledge that. I mentioned the Nationals have pitched reasonably well. They still scored one goddamn run on four base hits. Like, can, can we? That's what they did in the second game of this series. One run on four hits. What is that good enough? You okay with that? No, it's it's weren't facing Randy Johnson in his prime. It's Hunter Harvey. (laughs) It's Carl Edwards Jr. It's Carl Edwards who couldn't throw a freaking strike to start the inning. It was it was very very frustrating. And then you pile on the fact that that was the game where the Met defense was awful, and their defense didn't kill them. It didn't lead to necessarily runs being scored. But when the day was over, the Mets had four hits and three errors. Like, think about that. The Mets were one error short from having the same amount of hits as they had on Wednesday night. It was frustrating, man. It was frustrating. That's that's all. Yeah, you know, you want to see your team score the more than one run in two games against the Washington Nationals. I understand that when you trade Juan Soto, Max Scherzer, Trey Turner, you're going to get some good young pieces back. And we saw a lot of it this week. C.J. Abrams is one of the pieces they got back. Mackenzie Gore. Josiah Gray from those two trades I'm talking about. Because think about that kind of talent that they traded away. Juan Soto, Trey Turner, Max Scherzer. Scherzer was a free agent to be. Turner was a year removed from it. That's a lot to give up. So they do have some talent. But the first two games of this series was incredibly frustrating. And I was pissed at Nito. And let me explain why. So Tomas Nito is abysmal offensively. I think we all know that. And I've made the point, he is a pitcher. He's a pitcher hitting. So Tomas Nito comes up with a runner on third and nobody out in the third inning. The Mets are down 2 nothing. Just want to set this up for you. Because I could deal with you being bad. I could deal with you being a bad hitter. You're a bad hitter. You try, you're a bad hitter. I can't deal with you being an idiot. That I can't deal with. So Tomas Nito comes up with a runner on third base and nobody out. And on the first pitch, lays down a bunt. Gary Cohen quickly says, uh, safety squeeze, I guess. It's promptly picked up by Gore, throws to first base. Escobar stays at third because Eduardo Escobar is not exactly super fast and was probably really confused. Like, what the hell just happened? Why is Tomas Nito bunting? So I'll ask that out loud. Why are you bunting? Like, Tomas, all you have to do is hit the ball to shortstop. If you do that, a run's going to score. In the worst case scenario, you strike out. Ah, 
right, sucks. There's still only one out. Pop up, ah, it sucks. There's still only one out. Why are you laying down a bunt? Like, I love when Tomas Nito bunts, but not in the situation of there being a runner on third and nobody out. Okay, bad enough. Let's go to the fifth inning. In the fifth inning, the score is the same. It's two to one. Eduardo Escobar leads off by hitting a ground ball to shortstop that C.J. Abrams will not feel successfully. The Mets have a runner on first and nobody out. Tomas Nito's up. They are down two to one. Bunt, Tomas. Tomas, you want to bunt here? This is a great spot to bunt because if you get it down, the tying runs on second and the top of the order is coming up. Please bunt, Tomas. And instead, he ain't even thinking about bunting. He's swinging, he's fouling balls off. And now I'm at the point where I'm just praying he doesn't ground into a double play. I'm actually rooting for him to strike out. Because if he strikes out, there's still a runner on first one out. And what does he do? He strikes out. So thank God he didn't bounce into a double play. But someone's got to explain to me why Tomas Nito thinks bunting down 2 nothing with a runner on third, nobody out makes sense. But not bunting with a runner on first, nobody out down by one run makes sense. None of it makes sense. So if you're going to play and hit 095, can you at least not be brain dead in terms of when you're laying down bunts? That whole sequence really annoyed me. I got to tell you. Is that on him, though? Is I, I know this is stupid because, you know, he, we know how terrible of a, of a hitter he is. And I think the whole team knows and, the, and all the management. But at some point in time, the the, the management, the, whether it's Buck, yeah. whether it's third base coach, someone's telling him to bunt, not to okay. bunt. So, so let me answer that because it's a good point. Is it on him? The bunt with a runner on third, nobody out, is absolutely on him because that wasn't called by the dugout. There's no way Buck Showalter is calling for a bunt with a runner on third and nobody out. So that's on him. In the fifth inning, yeah, Buck didn't call for a bunt. And I've had some issues with Buck not calling for bunts. But if Tomas Nito's got the ability to bunt on his freaking own like he did in this third inning, then bunt on your own in the fifth inning when it makes more sense. So in the case of this, I'm exonerating Buck Showalter because I disagree. Like I would, I'd bump more with Nito. I would. Just not in the situation where there's a runner on third and nobody out. I, I would treat him like the pitcher. But with a runner on third and nobody out, I wouldn't treat the I have my pitcher hitting. Like th- th- there isn't a there isn't a reward in laying down a bunt there, especially with a slower runner on third base. It just it didn't make any sense. And, and I'm losing my patience with Tomas Nito because I, I get it. He's a really good pitch framer. He's good defensively. He handles a staff well. Pete, you can't hit 105. Like you have to have at least Alvarez has a little pop, is showing you some signs of life offensively. Like, you cannot hit 107 and play every day. You really can't be a pitcher, and that's the way he is. All right, so first of all, you talk about, you know, you, you complimented him on his pitch framing. I'm sorry, but I think uh, DeMeo threw out something that Alvarez's pitch framing has been rather good so far. I'm not knocking Alvarez. I'm talking, though, though, let me just make something clear when I compliment his pitch framing. I'm just talking about Tomas Nito. I'm not comparing him to Alvarez in terms of that. I'm merely saying, like, I know he's good at other things, 
but his offense can't be this freaking bad. That's my but, only point about it. But 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 the, but the point is is though is that you're you made a point that he's been catching Senga. And Senga hasn't looked all that freaking hot. No offense. Okay? So at some point in time, in the fifth inning, if you're drawing zero uh, oomph from your lineup, it's time for a pinch hitter. Okay? I'm sorry. Right? So you're saying you would have just pinch hit for him? Oh, my God. (laughs) In the fifth inning? (laughs) Bring up Eduardo Escobar. Bring up somebody. Whatever. And then guess what? Senga, did he even pitch the sixth inning? No, he didn't, right? So the problem with doing that would have been the only option you would have had was using Alvarez because Gore was still on the mound. So he had three lefties on the bench. So, yeah, I mean, you could just use your Alvarez button right then and there. But I think what you're also thinking is you're going to wait. Because remember, a few innings later in that seventh inning, when they rallied against Carl Edwards, that's when Buck emptied his bench. He pinched it Escobar with Beatty. He pinched it Nito with Vogelback. And both guys got on base and it worked. So you only have a few chips to use. You only have a few bullets to use. That's why you got to be careful if you're going to use it that early. Runner on first, nobody out in the fifth inning. I'd rather have just Tomas Nito bunt than using one of my big bats. 